This is the Reluctant Leader podcast, brought to you by the Reluctant Leader Academy. I'm your host, Mark Terrell, and in each episode, I will invite an expert guest to discuss a topic or subject that will enhance your knowledge and hopefully inspire you on your leadership journey. If managing people is becoming your biggest headache, then check out the How to Lead Your Team with Confidence course and join the next group program starting soon. So let's see who's in the hot seat today. Today I'm talking to Mark Evans. Mark has spent over 25 years combining the needs of business with bespoke software. He's the architect behind countless cloud-based software as a service tools and systems. His journey has taken him on an unconventional route, weaving him through all levels of business, locally, nationally, and internationally. From humble beginnings through to the founding of four businesses, engaging with the highest level in government and providing critical line of business services for one of the world's largest organizations. It is clear that life in the virtual world has no boundaries. He believes bespoke software can provide most businesses with the edge in a competitive world. I hope you enjoy this chat we had about software efficiency and I'll catch you all on the other side. Mark, welcome to the Reluctant Leader podcast. Thank you for having me. This is, this is one of the podcasts which has come to, together quite quickly because we were only really talking about a week ago. Sometimes it takes weeks or months to, to bring something together, but this one seems to have happened quite quickly. So that's a good sign and that um, it's obviously uh, meant to happen. Um, it came out of one of our sort of one-to-ones we have in our sort of local networking, didn't it? And we were talking about what mm-hmm. we did and um, it was quite an interesting conversation. And I thought I would sort of bring that conversation over into the podcast for others to listen to. Um, so we're going to be talking about what you do and the, the software efficiency um, subject. But before we do that, um, I'll ask the question that I ask all my guests, and that is, why do you do what you do, and what was the pivotal moment that took you down this path? <laughs> okay, thank you. That's a little bit um, of a complex uh question in, in many respects because uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in the beginning as we as we all sort of leave school and we, we think well, what we're we going to do and I ended up um, as a tire fitter for a, a good number of years before I decided that I really wanted to sort of continue my my my, my sort of passion for computing um, so I took various paths that allowed me to sort of get to a position where I was able to start programming software and developing software, but that took quite a while. It took probably until I was mid-25s, I suppose, before I I got that opportunity. Um, From that point on, and because of the experiences I was going through at the time as a production manager for a a vending manufacturing company, we needed to to have software to drive those processes. And uh, although we did get some external help initially, they it wasn't particularly good um, at delivering what we needed. Um, although it was bespoke software, um, it was very early days and trying to translate what you needed for a situation um, across to someone and then put that into software back in in that sort of um, period of time, 1994, 95 time, um, it was quite a, a difficult thing. Software was fairly rigid. Um, so I decided to take it on myself and uh, started developing the, the software platforms for the production and dispatching and the um, invoicing and the sales order processing and stock control and that kind of thing. And that's what gave me a real passion for, for actually making um, that connection between software and the business world. 
Um, before that, I played around with various computers, but it wasn't until that time when I started okay, thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be helpful as we move forward. Uh, not really understanding at that point how helpful it would be in my future career, but um, it certainly gave me my grounding. And over the next five years, I started writing the software that drove that organization, and it became a £35 million organization. Um, and it was bought out by an American company in 1999, which gave me a great opportunity. And that was the pivotal point, really, is um, we, were, we were being bought out. I had an option to stay with the organization um, and possibly work in the States and be able to sort of uh, come in and go whenever I wanted to from the States, um, or set up something for my own benefits, uh, a company uh, born out of, of that passion and wanting to put those connections together, talk to business leaders, talk to organisations and smaller uh, companies that, that needed that helping hand with software. Um, how could we really use the knowledge they have and the, the knowledge that I had at the time um, and combine them in software? And, um, and that was the, the driving point, really. And um, from there on, for the last 20 years, um, uh, we've been helping many, many organizations to, uh, to deliver through software um, efficiencies. Right. Yeah. So it seems like a sort of a logical um, sort of path you've taken. Um, and um, obviously now you're doing things that you really want to do. Um, it's, I can remember back to when I was first introduced to computers and that was back at school um, using the BBC <laughs> Micro um, and uh, doing all that stuff with DOS and all that. So, um, <laughs> it didn't really light me up, to be honest, um, because it was a bit too... Um, you know, all that um, stuff was a bit uh, too in-depth and I didn't really get fired up with it. But when I did actually embrace computers was when I was running my retail business and yeah. I saw the opportunity to, in, to um, bring in uh, the scanning systems that we are so used to now. Um, we were one of the first to bring it in. And, and, and what I noticed was that a lot of retailers were only using part of the system. And I'm sure this is what you come across all the time with a, maybe yes. a bespoke system only using a tiny part of it and the rest of it is wasted now we try to embrace mm. and use everything and one of the things things we did was we used like the stock control system and you've already mentioned stock control is one of the things but that was um that's had such a massive um, um influence on the way our business run that you know software is if you get it right can make a massive difference so um i'm, I'm an advocate of software and how it can really help your business um, but what's yeah. something that I noticed on your website, you, you talk about free software uh, or software that's off the peg, which is good for some, some things, but obviously not for other things. And do you want to just talk about, you know, what, what those things are good for, those, those software packages are good for, and maybe when they don't really serve purpose? Yeah, sure. I think um, any organisation um, that's worth a salt uh, are going to be looking for an investment um, whether that's in software or something else. But I think from a software point of view, the first thing that an organization um, needs to do is just to see whether there's something out there uh, on the shelf that can fit their needs. Um, it's more than likely that it, it won't fit their needs um, uh, to 100%, or, or mo most probably only sort of 50%, 60% if possible. And they will probably find that the rest of it is really just um, bells and whistles that will never get used at all, um, which brings in issues of 
training and suddenly you've got staff that are using a piece of software that can take them down many different roads that perhaps you don't want them to go down and you don't as a business strategy want certain parts of that software being used but nevertheless it's there and it will be played with and it's a distraction and so on so um, once an organization is identified that actually a piece of software off the shelf um, although perhaps fits to a degree it doesn't fit um, exactly it's time to look at the bespoke world and the bespoke world is is um is more expensive uh, as you'd expect really because what's happening there is that um a consultant will come in he'll understand your requirements he'll then wrap or she'll then wrap that process software process around your business so it becomes uh, a number of things at that point um, it becomes an asset of your business it's not a liability, and that's the kind of person you want um, involved in and working with is um, a company that sees, sees software as an asset because it, it can be sold on with your business. Um, so uh, it's an important factor. It's also going to be much more efficient. You're going to be able to um, almost lock in your IP. Um, so if you're specifically unique in, in the way you do business, then that information is, is going to be locked into that software and becomes valuable, becomes a tool to be able to de-scale a particular part of the process or the job. And that can free up then those resources to be applied uh, in other areas that are much more important perhaps or need much more of an expertise. Um, so it, it, it's an enabler. It really enables a business um, so I'm a big advocate of um, software that's designed around your organization. Um, and another part of it is being able to expand because not everyone will stay in the same boxes um, year on year. They'll, they'll want to expand, they'll change, they'll pivot, especially um, in environments like we are in today. Um, you have to pivot quite well. And that software needs to be able to pivot with you. Uh, Off-the-shelf software it's very rigid, it won't pivot because there's too many people pivoting in different ways, whereas a piece of software that's bespoke, that's been designed for you, will actually allow you to pivot. Obviously, you've got to have um, the support and, and the maintenance agreements behind that to be able to, to switch and move and extend that software, but nevertheless, it, it's, it's a, a real benefit to be able to have that facility. Yeah, yeah. Um, just for those listeners that might be listening to this uh, way in the future, we're recording this right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and that's why we've mentioned about the certain situations that are going on at the moment. Um, but um, it's interesting what you said there, because um, the, you know, obviously there's a, there's a cost involved. There's a cost involved with obviously developing the software. But there's also the first thing that I guess you've got to think about is actually the, the potential saving and also understanding the internal processes that are, are, are going to change because of the software. Yes, indeed. I mean, you do need to understand that um, that return on investment um, has to be there because there's no point spending a lot of money on something that's not really going to deliver what you need it to, to deliver. So a common mistake is that... Um, will get engaged with a client, will then start working on, on the client, and then they, they can't release the resources that are needed to be able to make sure that that software delivers what it, it's meant to deliver. And sometimes you'll get to a situation where it, it actually doesn't deliver, um, and 
it needs changing. And that's the escape slippage that, that creeps in, which um, just creates more cost um, and many delays. So if you're going to commit to bespoke software, you need to make sure those resources are available so that that software can, can be um, uh, released and, and matches the requirements um, where, where they're laid down. Yes, and, and interesting what you say about return on investment. Obviously, that's what most businesses will want to know. Is there a sort of an average that that you know that you know these these projects tend to um, pay back in? Uh, there isn't an average really, but no. it's it's certainly tied into scale um, because the bigger organisations will, uh, with, with more staff and maybe um, processes that are interlocked through the software, uh, can leverage uh, greater savings. Um, if you're looking at a, a small company that's just locking in maybe 10, 20, 30 staff in, in the process of the software creation, then um, there will definitely be a saving that there has to be. And if we get to a stage where certainly within my organization, if we identify that this cost is, is going to grow and the benefits there um, aren't going to be realized, then then we'll make that clear and uh, and. Um, mm-hmm. as transparent upfront as possible and in fact it's one of the markers that you need to do when you, you're engaging an organization is identify how it can be measured what that success rate is going to be whether that's purely operational or whether it's pushing your service online and then you start looking at subscribers or whether um, there's a, another measure uh, such as time saving um, but that's key to getting getting a successful project complete Yes, and um, one of the other, obviously, um, what's allowed this, I guess, and, and helped you a great deal is the uh, the cloud-based um, systems, uh, and I guess that that that's what you rely on these days is using that. So you you haven't got to send out a load of software that's got to be updated on systems, which must make a big difference to the way you roll things out. Yes, indeed. Well, as I mentioned earlier on, we started KBase back in two thousand and. Um, in the first probably six months or so, we were still delivering software that would require installation onto a desktop um, and sending out of, of CDs uh, back then. Um, and it wasn't long into the process of, of um, disseminating this, this, this software that we felt that we, we need to move and take advantage of the, of the, the internet as, as it was. It was growing. It was, it was very young. But um, back in 2000, 2001, we started developing for our clients um, websites that had um, extendability um, and secure areas. And they became really the first um, ASP, they were called back then, uh, but they were cloud uh, applications because we were using um, their website to sort of hop off the back of a secure zone that was also stored in, in the cloud, um, in their hosted environment. And that gave us the opportunity to then just distribute to one place. Updates were made um, and users had the benefits uh, immediately of, of seeing those updates in place. Yeah, and it's interesting, actually. One of the frustrations I've had in the past is um, certain website software, which um, is used extensively but is constantly being updated and I've, I've had previous websites which were working one day and not the next 
Um, and the reason why they weren't working was because there had been an unexpected update. And I suppose that's one thing that you can you can obviously not worry about when you've got your own software. You'll only update it when it needs to be updated. Yeah, that's it. And you're fully aware of, of the, um, the process and what's happening. And you're able to communicate that with your clients uh, beforehand as well. <clears throat> we, we tend to uh, try to make updates before uh, the, the normal working hours for our clients. Um, sometimes at weekends as well, if, if that's what they require. Um, if they're large organizations, they've got lots of staff. We, we've um, had clients in the past that have had uh, representatives um, all around the globe. So we had no break in um, the, the timeline um, for us to be able to make adjustments. So we had to install um, the updates exactly when, uh, when when we felt that it was uh, of least um, impact. But because they were completely around the globe, then they were always there and always available to uh, to be interrupted, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this leads nicely onto the, like, the governance and the, and the compliance things that obviously you're able to cover now and making sure that everything is very much... Um, in line with the company and the business's objectives and making sure that, you know, everything is, is, is like there's one copy of everything. And I think when you're using um, bespoke software, sometimes you can have different versions floating around. I'm, I'm sure that's probably something you've come across in the past. Yeah, it is, yes. I mean, from a, from a software point of view, as you say, exactly right. There's a central um, software that's running on the service so there's no duplications. You know you're using the latest version of that software. Um, but that rolls over to uh, the information assurance element of, of businesses and business requirements and the knowledge that they have internally and how that's communicated. Because um, you do get a situation whereby, certainly when organisations are being audited and, and perhaps the staff are printing out information and documentation, uh, that that information, as soon as it's printed, is out of date and that controlling mechanism um, that uh, you have when things are online and yes they can they can see the latest version and they can read it um, is is lost if you're not careful when once those documents are printed out so we try to cater for for both online and offline uh, tethering to ensure that uh, they match to make sure that the the printing uh, printed version actually matches the online version and if they don't match, then there's a, a mechanism to flag that up. Um, but it, you're dead right in that um, that's the, the, the baseline um, for governance, for compliance, uh, for risk management. And that's all about having that information available centrally, uh, confidentially, and it retains its integrity. Yeah, yeah, and and you've mentioned like taking out the unnecessary complexity. You, obviously, it's about simplifying, but obviously making sure that everything is there that needs to be for the business. And obviously, once you've got that information, that obviously enhances the the um, the reporting that you can actually uh, introduce. I guess. Yes, indeed. Um, the reporting again, it's it's down to the individual organisation um, to uh, at the point of uh, design. So we go through uh, quite, quite a rigorous um, requirement specification, functional specification phase when we're looking at software to develop. And um, it's important to, to try to sort of 
line up all the ducks at that point in time. So we would look at the requirements um, of different aspects of the business, whether there was any way of actually um, trying to uh, re-engineer the process to make it simpler before it's put put into a piece of software. And then we would work with other departments that may, may have to interact with that uh, software. And at that point, we define those reports. So the report definitions will then be decided, which can be changed, obviously, as we go through, but, but we will try to sort of pin those, um, those definitions for reporting uh, from, from the beginning. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that that connectivity, not necessarily, not not always just internally, but you, I suppose these days you've got to be able to connect to other systems, and obviously other systems want to connect into that system. So, is that one of the biggest challenges you have with like connecting to other systems? Uh, it used to be a big challenge uh, when systems weren't so interoperable and they were. Um, in different languages, uh, it wasn't until um, common languages uh, for that connectivity started to appear and you could create APIs that can be read uh, across different pieces of software, regardless of, of what code they were written and what language they were written in. Um, so APIs are, are key and crucial these days. Um, and an, an API, which is an application programming interface, it's really the same as a human interface, but everything's done automatically. Um, so if you're entering data, or you're putting in your name, address, and phone number in, in through a, um, a screen on your keyboard, the computer is doing the same, um, but directly to the piece of software in the background. So you still have to have those validation processes. You still have to um, say, is this a valid email address? Is this a valid phone number? Is this a number that I'm asking for in this field or is it a piece of text? All those kind of things still have to exist, but because we now have that um, common language, then talking to pieces of software um, that, that you want to integrate with um, it isn't so much of a problem these days. Yeah, yeah. So it's all sort of, um, yeah, it's all sort of falling into line as, as um, obviously businesses need it to, to be that way because it's, um, it's, I suppose there's no point in having, you know, 50 different languages that don't talk to themselves if, you know, that makes businesses um, not being able to connect to others because we know, you know, that's how things work is that we know to connect whether it's people, whether it's, um, you know, software, whatever it is, we need to be able to connect with people. And, and, and that API system sounds like it um, gets over that and um, makes that happen, which is, which is, which is great. Um, so I think before we just wrap things up, it'd be worth mentioning um, one of the things I've mentioned, uh, I, sorry, I noticed on your website is that you are um, a trusted partner of what's right. Um, and, and I'm guessing this, this is something to do with, why you do what you do or something to do with your values. Um, I'd be, be interested to know what um, what's right and how that came about. Yeah, of course. Well, what, what's right um, was co-founded by myself and uh, a guy called John Tiley um, around about sort of 12, 13 years ago now. And uh, it was born out of the fact that uh, we'd, we'd both done a lot of networking in the past and um, we understood the value of networking but we felt that some of the organizations that we were working or networking with at the time were very um, sort of centered on uh, numbers of, of members and 
um, their, their, their own pockets, perhaps, um, in the nicest possible sense. And we felt that although they have to survive and they have to make a profit, that perhaps another networking group um, that was focused on local good courses would, would be the better way to go. So, so we did we set up uh, What's Right, and, and that's all about um, members of What's Right in the network group, network sense, um, ha- have the traditional facilities of coming along to a meeting every month and being able to network past business and, and carry out one-to-one meetings. But um, instead of a, a monthly fee, we would... Um, request a, a monthly donation and that donation would then go into a central pot which would then um, at regular intervals throughout the year be distributed to local good causes so um, Jesse May and, and um, the World Place Projects, um, Children's uh, Hospice Southwest, um, the Rainbow Centre uh, and, and organisations um, very much like that are doing they're doing fabulous work um, day in day out get some recognition so um, that, that's been very successful um, we, we've um, we've got a number of members uh, already in in the Bristol region and uh, we're looking at um, other areas as well it, it's something that uh, I don't necessarily get involved in on a day-to-day basis anymore um, because of other commitments but um, I'm still obviously as a as a co-founder very uh, very fond of, of the the, uh, the networking and the idea behind the um, social responsibility element of, um, and providing uh, money into the good causes that are local to us. Yeah, and I think that's really important with any business is just giving something back and doing something that really makes you feel as if you are well doing more than just running a business you're actually making a difference you know to your community which uh, I think yes. more and more these days is really important um, connecting to the wider community uh, and so that they recognize what you're doing and you know there's only good to come out of that so uh, uh, hats off yeah. to you for that this uh, sounds like a great initiative um, so right so unfortunately time is running out as, the, as they tend to with these these podcasts um, we don't get an awful lot of time it's it's not really designed to go into too much detail, but um, obviously um, our listeners can check you out on your website, which will be in all the show notes. Um, so before we finish, um, what would be your top three tips to leave the listeners when they may be considering going down the route of uh, bespoke uh, software? Okay, okay. I think we've probably covered those tips um, during the conversation already, but, but just to sort of highlight them again, I think uh, firstly it's ensuring that um, bespoke software is right for your business, making sure that it will fit um, the, the, the need and there's no off-the-shelf software that can actually um, fit that need. And so that, that would be two ones. So make sure that it does fit the need. Um, number two, if you're then engaged um, in the idea of bespoke software, make sure that your provider um, has the experience that uh, you need in, in um, and the background in making sure that they can deliver what you've got um, to deliver through whatever form that may be, whether that's uh, as, as a, a fully cloud-based um, standalone operation, maybe in a, in a private cloud or whether that's public, um, make sure they've got the infrastructure to be able to do that from the design, the um, development support, and then the securing of that uh, piece of software, because security is very important. 
And then thirdly, perhaps, it's about the approach. Um, try to engage with someone that uh, has an agile approach to the development, which means that you can uh, start to get a, a minimum viable product up and running very quickly, and you don't have to wait for the traditional six months to a year before it's finished and then start tweaking it. It's all about being able to deliver the, the minimum viable products perhaps um, in a month or two months and then another two months there's a new part of it coming out and as long as it's planned right it can give you uh, immense benefits doing it that way. Mm, great stuff and and as I said at the beginning when I uh, introduced the system into the retail business when it when it was right it made a massive difference so I know how software can really make a big difference within a, a business um, so thank you today for your time today Mark it's really interesting and I hope uh, the listeners have got lots of value about it and got maybe got you thinking about how maybe those off the peg systems uh, are, are doing a job but maybe they could be maybe uh, a, a, an off the top, uh, sorry a bespoke system might be the, the, the right thing to do at some point in, in the time of the business and where it's going so uh, yes thank you very much for your time Mark no problem thank you for having me and I will see you again very shortly hopefully thanks Mark take care Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take the time to leave a review on your chosen platform and share on social media. Don't forget to check out the Reluctant Leader Academy where you'll find a free 15 questions every manager should be asking themselves checklist that you can download to keep you on track every day. Leadership is a choice. When you understand the right mindset, know the process to follow and use key skills to keep things moving forward, you'll be on track to leave a lasting legacy. Until next time, be the best you can be and the inspiration for others to follow. Mm-hmm.